I got left at Camp 3 at 8,300 meters. This is the legendary Sibosiso Bellani. He was the first black person to summit Everest and went on to summiting all seven highest peaks on all seven continents. Hailing from rural South Africa, where the odds of success were always stacked against him. His story is one that will inspire us all. I'm your host, Blake Dyson, and you're listening to Keeping It Wild, a podcast about wild stories in wild places with some pretty wild people. I thought I was going to (laughs) die. I thought I was going to die. How do I say your surname, by the way? I wasn't sure if it was Villain or Villani. I know. I've, I've had a lot of Villains and I've, I've said, oh, well, it's okay. I may be a Villain today, but I'm actually Villani. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So I'm super excited to chat to you. Uh, firstly, I think the first time I heard about you or met you, and you probably don't even remember meeting me, was at, was it an Emperor Asset Management talk in... Cape Town, um, and I think they're launching Easy Equities or something, and you gave this amazing talk. Um, and so for our listeners that don't know who you are, you're just like the super cool adventurer that's climbed, I think you climbed Everest at least twice, you've you've run Comrades, you've done like so many epic adventures. But um, for this podcast specifically, I really want to like just deep dive into, into your journey in, in big mountains and high altitude. I was never a very keen hiker growing up as a kid in the very rural south of South Africa and later to Swaziland because um, it was a pretty desperate upbringing. I remember that when I was about four years old, my parents separated, which wasn't a good thing, but my mother took um, ownership of me and my sister and tried to fend for us. As a result of that difficulty, I was never at school until the age of 10. So the point of that is adventuring and hiking and holiday with family wasn't the sort of thing I knew. I was never exposed to a lot of things. For me, life was just pretty focused as such that when it goes to a stage where I had to go to school, I was 10 years old and that was my main focus. Get get to school and then get it done and over with and go out and try and and be a person that makes his own things and decisions and makes his own life. So so, so that was what inspired my life. I think it was just adventures from that, that background anyway, because at the back of my mind, even though I was looking very desperate and uh, very poor with no home, um, I still had, had the self, the self-belief within me that there's something better out there, but for that better to happen was up to me to make it happen. So perhaps more remarkable than climbing the world's greatest peaks is having to climb out of poverty in order to do so. And it is a testament to Sibosiso's extreme focus and willpower that he was able to rise above the immediate situations and sit above the clouds on top of the roof of the world. There's an old South African proverb that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. To sit upon the summits of the world is a team effort, and we rely on the support of our team members so we all can succeed. 
But there's one final ingredient to any summit bird. Luck. And as chance would happen, one sunny Saturday afternoon, in the reception area of a safari lodge, long before Sibo Siso had ever set sights on a mountain of any kind, he overheard a conversation that would change his life forever. So straight from high school, I went into a nature conservation uh, job where I was a tourist guide. But some of the weeks I would spend time at reception where people signed in and signed out. And on a Saturday afternoon, this gentleman walked in named John Doble. And I just by chance picked up a conversation between him and the guy who had taken over from me where he said, my friend, you work in such a beautiful game reserve. I did a hike, but it is so vast and big and rugged and I just fear that I could get easily lost. So the question is, do you have any groups of hikers who hike on a weekend? Because I'd like to come and join uh, one of the hikes. And my work colleague very correctly said, I'm sorry, so people who come and hike here, they, they come and hike with their own groups of friends. Then from that moment, I felt that I needed to help him. So I went to him and I said, hi, I'm Sibu Siso. I'm one of the tourist officers and game rangers here. I know the trails very well. If you really are interested in a hike, I'm happy to take you on a weekend when I'm off duty. So on that weekend, when I was walking with him, I was acting guide, obviously I'm walking in front of him, showing him the way around. We're rock scrambling a little bit. Uh, we, we were sort of scrambling over a very rocky cliff and he's tracking pole, which is just the one stick carved in KZN. Dropped over the cliff, clattered down to below where we could not see it. And because it was such a precious, precious stick to him, he said, hey, can I try and go and, and, and find it? I'm like, no, he's going to fall over and just die. So let me just take the chance and do it. So I sort of went down this little cliff. Eventually, luckily, this the stick had just clattered and got trapped between rocks and stopped there. So I was able to retrieve it. And it was one of the happiest moments of his life. But after the stake, we didn't go far. We just walked a little bit and we got to a beautiful place with a very nice, beautiful pool and waterfalls. And when we got to the bottom of the waterfall, he looked up and thought, is it possible for anyone to have a view of it from the top? Didn't want a selfie for people of today will want selfies in front of a waterfall. No, my friend wanted to get to the top and have a look at the waterfall. So I said, okay, we can do it. We've never done it before, but if you follow me like we've been doing today, just listen to my instruction. We can just rock scramble on the side of the waterfall. We got to the top. He had the view that he wanted. And then he said the thing that was to change the course of my life forever. He brought in Everett and said, well, it's amazing when I see you today with this amazing ability that the Everest has never been attempted by an African and in almost 40 years since the first person to do it did it in 1953. Everest conquered. The New Zealander Edmund Hillary got his first mail and congratulatory telegrams from George Lowe, a fellow countryman and expedition colleague. Us 35 miles from Kathmandu, capital. Again, I said to him, well, but we are talking about a mountain which is overseas. He said, yes, it is in the Himalayas, in the small country of Nepal, not small, big, Nepal and, 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 and Tibet. So, so I said to him, you see, that is the name possibility for an African to afford to pay for a ticket to go and climb. And I didn't even know that it cost you permits, which in the millions of rents to do it. It was just a mere thought of you going to buy a plane ticket to go 
overseas to climb a mountain, it won't really make sense to my mother or my grandmother who strives to bring food on the table as to why. But before I convinced him that um, he, it, if it wasn't the, for the money side, I would do it, he asked the question, if you had the resources to do it, would you climb Everest? Really, would you? So I met John in February of 1996 and I was 26 years old and that's when we started talking about this. But by chance, so from 96 when I met him up until 1999, we developed this relationship and friendship. Him and I would hike in, in Swaziland, we'll hike in the Drakensberg and I think that was probably the only time when we were doing a hike in the Drakensberg. We go to the top of the escarpment and we summited a peak and the views were such that they were so, so beautiful and, 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 and so attractive that I got drawn into them. I'm like, okay, now I know why people do it. John had gone back to England and I received a letter from him saying he has found a company that organizes these expeditions and he has spoken to them about my, 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 my wish to at least one day climb Everest. And he said they, they are happy to talk to me if I really want to do it. And he wanted to ask me if I still held the same uh, interest. Why do you want to climb the mountain? And, and why do you want to take on this journey, whether it is any of adventure or of, of career? And it's interesting that I didn't think about that profoundly at that stage, but I realized at the end that what kept me going on the mountain when things were tough, it was I had put that why before me, before I made that decision, that this is why I wanted to do it. So when reading about John's letter, I asked myself that question, but why, why, why do you want to do it? Because you're not interested in climbing mountains anyway. And the answer came immediately. I didn't have to think deep. It came immediately and said, well, remember, he, you want to do it for Africa. Because you believe in Africa, you believe in Africans, you believe in the continent achieving great things. Therefore, that's the reason you want to stand on the summit and prove to anyone that it can be done. And that was profound. It was huge. I don't think there's anything that would have sent me to the mountain without that. And so when I when I got that, I wrote him and I said, absolutely, I would like to speak to the people and because I want to do this. So that's what being almost on top of the world looks like. I don't think it differs much from being top of the world. As for everything in life, having the right motivation is an essential piece of the puzzle of success. But the puzzle of Everest? This is the jumble of a thousand pieces and one wrong placement could cost you your life. Everest is a, it is a tough mountain. Um, I cannot sort of even begin to say to someone it, it's easier or 
uh, if you've put A and B or one, two, three together, no, it is. It will always be one of the toughest thing a, and, and any other human being will ever embark on or try to do. You you arrive in Kathmandu, you fly out to a little village, uh, and then from the little village you trek for ten days to get to base camp. And once you get to base camp, you start what, well, already you would have started your acclimatization because on the approach, that's what you do. You are not plain sailing. Every day is agonizingly tough. The physical terrain is so rough that you, it is threatening to kill you, actually. You are oxygen deprived. There's less oxygen in the atmosphere. It is so cold, minus 15, minus 20, minus 30 at times. And it snows every now and then. High winds are blowing all over the place. Um, you're crossing hundreds of crevices that are there, threatening to swallow you. I have heard that someone had died in a crevasse just below the mountain, and that was above uh, the place where the person had died. So it was at night, we were going for a summit attempt. I saw a little gap uh, having opened just in front of me, and the guys were jumping over it. But when I got to it, it the snow, it had opened up to a, a much more wider bridge. And I didn't think that I would have all the energy or effort to be able to jump over it with my crampons and heavy boots and jackets and being tied up on the rope. So I thought I would just walk around it, which is because it looked much more safer. But that was the worst part of the crevice where I went, because when I put my foot... the whole wall just dropped. That bridge collapsed at my feet and I went down to, into this crevasse and in frantic uh, haste, I was trying to hold on the sides of this thing and I could not feel the bottom with my feet. So I was just dangling. Luckily, I was still clipped on the rope. So these are all these little elements that are outside of your control that you're dealing with, that you're trying to contend with, that are there trying to really to defeat you. But if you don't forget why you are there, you stay the course, then you wait for a seven-day weather wind opportunity. And you do that when you're sitting at base camp. But we say we sit down at base camp, and the most frustrating part about it is it didn't just the weather didn't just linger on for a couple of days. It was like a week long. It was 10 days of like this blizzard uh, relentlessly and covering the mountain and no one climbing out of outside the tents or anything. But luckily after the 10 days, it got clear. So again, we said, we're going to go and we went up. This time, luckily, we got to Camp 4, which is your launch pad. This is where you start for your summit attempt. And I was like, delighted. I'm like, this is going to happen. So we start in the evening, going towards the summit. But we were probably about 300 to 400 meters before the summit, having worked for like eight hours of like hard craft in the mountains. Say, not a chance, not a soul will stand on the summit. And then again, she blew us off in a blizzard and very frustrating wind, wind storms that night. Temperatures that evening were estimated to have been between minus 36. It was just excruciatingly cold. And, but the, the coldest part was just we did not summit the mountain. 
we had to come back down because my team and I had been exposed in the in the in the death zone for many hours we had to be forced to withdraw all the way further than camp four down to camp two at 6200 meters that's where by chance i got told that we have still had oxygen and time was still allowing us to go for a third attempt so we stayed put at camp uh, camp two for a couple of days the weather cleared then we set off and we went up and as a result of that never giving up and being resilient and just willing to be adaptable and flexible to the conditions going back and forth, I was able to stand at the top. I stood there and I saw the entire world at my feet. Ninety-eight percent of Everest attempts take a route up either the south side of the mountain, known as the South Coal, or the Northern Ridge Standard. And on the 26th of May 2003, using the South Coal route, Sibu Siso became the first black man to summit Mount Everest. And for most of us, that would be enough. But Sibu Siso isn't most people. There's still another way up to the top, the even more challenging Northern Coal. Two years later, Sibu Siso would again find himself searching for the summit, but this time from the north, and it would almost cost him his life. In 2005, when, on my second summit on the north side, where by accident I got left um, at Camp 3, it's 8,300 meters after the summit by all my teammates and all my shapers and I was dehydrated, I was exhausted because we'd summited and, and we'd spent hours on the mountain with no food, with no water. So when I came out of my tent, hoping that my teammates were still around, the shapers and everyone, I realized that I was all alone. So I had to drag myself um, to save my life. I couldn't stand. Um, I couldn't stand up on my two feet. I couldn't take a step forward. Um, that's how exhausted and tiring I was. And I, I didn't, I'd run out of oxygen completely. So if you read books about Everest, if you run out of oxygen at over 8,000 meters, that's it. Um, you, you, you're done. Because of the inability to stand up and take my almost a step, while standing up on myself, I had to apply all sorts of movements, but as long as it was a forward movement, whether I was shuffling along, whether I was sat on my bum and just shuffled down or crawling, I, I did all of that. And, and, and because I, I, really, I recognized something, I must say that on the way up, we had passed the, the body of a climber who had died about five days before we were there. But when I was sitting down and, and struggling to breathe and struggling to walk, I had a vivid picture of him and the answer was very clear. That is, the, that is how he died because he was alone, just like you are. And if you don't fight, you are going to be exactly like, like him. It was just very clear that that was going to be the result. 
promised my family that I would come back to them and therefore I'm going home. I'm not dying here. Even if it takes me to fight throughout the night, I would do it until I get to the next camp. So, so yeah, I had to, to draw from those two moments. The guy that was above me and my family here at home where I'd made a promise that I would come and see, I'll come back to see them. What do you get out of it and what do you hope to leave Africans with? If you set a standard, what do you do about it? And I realized immediately that when you set a standard, you want to better it. Either you just maintain it, you keep it, or you want to better it. And that was the challenge. It was a question of how was I going to do that? That is why then I decided that I will be an inspirational leader using adventure, using my storytelling to inspire a generation of Africans who believes in no limits because we have no limits except the ones that we set for ourselves, actually. Um, so uh, I am on, on that journey to to, to do that. And one day when I leave, when I die, I just want to be remembered or known or would have left Africa, a, a continent that believes in itself that, uh, and, and living in a continent that has got Africans who, who, who believe that they are unique themselves and they are inferior to none. And, and, and who are ambitious, who, who know that they've got what it takes to match the world, be it in sport, be it in adventure, mountaineering, be it in business, be it in anything. If, if we have a, a Africans who believe in that, then we will be a better continent. And that's the continent I just want to see one day when I'm long gone. And that's all we have time for today. Let's take inspiration from Sipo Siso and his incredible story and do what we can to play our own part in a better, more sustainable Africa. Keeping It Wild is a podcast produced by Telltale Media and hosted by me, Blake. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. This helps us rank on these platforms so others can find us and enjoy the show too. And lastly, Tell your friends about keeping it wild and bring them along for the adventure. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time. In the meantime, keep well and keep wild.